This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hello and welcome to the interview. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the Editor-in-Chief of Mediaite. My guest this week is Sean Spicer, the famed first press secretary of former President Donald Trump. Sean cut his teeth in DC politics, but after his stint in the White House, he embraced his newfound celebrity, appearing on Dancing with the Stars and popping up at the Emmys. He has since moved from political communications to the anchor chair, hosting a daily cable news show on Newsmax. His new book, Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's Dangerous Plan for America, is available on October 26th. I called up Sean on Friday to discuss his time in the White House, hosting a show on Newsmax, and what he makes of the 2020 election and its fallout, including the January 6th riot at the US Capitol. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you? I'm well, thanks for having me. You've worn many hats, uh, but hosting a daily cable news show is a bit of a new thing for you. Uh, how is that going? You're right, it's new, uh, something I would have never thought I'd be doing. Um, but I, I, I love it. Um, it's kind of cool to be sitting on the other side of the table, if you will. And um, But what's more fun is waking up in the morning and realizing what's happening. Um, and instead of just being able to complain or send a tweet, I can go like, let's get that guest. Let's talk about this subject. Um, and for me, it's, it's so it's, it's in a way it's kind of cathartic, um, you know, to be able to have, a, have an, a platform to sound off on and to explain things. And so for me, you know, I, I finally feel like I've got a way to communicate thoughts and ideas and, and policies and concerns and, and, and also bring up issues that I think are being overlooked and not being covered and explain to viewers, hey, you're not going to hear this anywhere else. Or here's a point of view that you're not getting um, from, you know, frankly, and in my opinion, any other show because of, of the background that I bring to the show. So I love it. Uh, you know, I, if I could do this for the rest of my life, I'll, I'll be a happy person. So you prefer being on the news side of things than being on the other side, like when you were press secretary for, for Donald Trump? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I like, frankly, it's not just, it's like, I like doing this where you can have a conversation with somebody. Um, but it's great when you're the one that, that gets to sort of uh, pick the topics and the people. And do the questioning as opposed to being confronted, right. I imagine, day after day. Uh, now, Newsmax is obviously pitched as a uh, conservative network and something it's, I think, seen in media as something as an alternative to Fox News. What do you think the appeal of Newsmax is? So it's interesting that you bring that up because you're right. That's the, that's definitely the narrative of Newsmax. But the, the the data that we get from Nielsen doesn't suggest that. It's funny. We get it, which is frankly shocking to me when um, – when they do our weekly calls and they'll talk about, you know, our growth. And frankly, it was funny. I can say this now, but the first week that we were on the show, we launched uh, Spicer and company um, March 3rd, 2020. And let's just say that I have more, more people 
following me on Instagram by a large following and, and pretty close to it on YouTube than we did viewers. And then, um, you know, after the, the election, our, we went gangbusters and we're now um, bigger as a network than Fox Business and CNBC combined. Uh, we beat CNN shows now. Um, you know, we're, we're moving on up. And 18 months in, um, we are unequivocally the fourth largest cable news uh, network out there. Um, but but I think that what's different about us is that we we can cover things that that other people don't. And, and it's fun. I, I think that there's a uniqueness to some of our personalities um, and our hosts. Um, but like, for example, on, on our show, um, you know, think about this for a moment. When it comes to television hosts, um, you know, I, I worked for I think it was 10 different members of Congress. I was the White House press secretary, RNC communications director for six, for six years, three cycles, two presidential cycles, and 22 years in the military. So if you think about being able to come to the table with a perspective that frankly, there's no one on television today that has that kind of background. And so most journalists on television are journalists. They were brought up asking questions and, and from a media perspective, I think I can come to the table now and look at a guest and say, yeah, that's normally how this works, but da, 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 and bring a perspective that no one else does. And I think that there's that our viewership, at least the feedback that I get through my website and through mail and things like that, that people, people appreciate the topics that we cover, the questions that we ask and the conversation. The thing that's interesting on my show in particular is that, you know, we don't yell, we don't scream. Um, we, we have guests from the left and the right. And despite the media narrative, I mean, we have everyone from Barney Frank on to other Democrats. But the thing that was interesting is that it was funny and it was on air, but at the first time that we had Barney Frank on, he said at the end of this, I really appreciate coming on and having a civil discussion. Like I'm, I make no bones about it. I, I'm a proud conservative. Um, and I, and I think I'm, and that's, I think helpful. I'm honest about it, but we treat every guest with respect and civility because we want to have a conversation. We want viewers to understand a perspective. And so I think that people enjoy watching the show because we'll cover things that, that other stations won't. Um, and we also have a, a variety of guests that, that I think inform people in a way that they're not on other shows. Cause we're not, while we're open about our bias, um, we we want people to understand why does a liberal democrat what is you know what do what do you think of this and why, but we let them talk and we're not there to jump on them or to accuse them of things. Uh, do you still watch Fox? Do you like it as a network? I I watch. I, I'm a news junkie. Mm. Um, I'm a political junkie. So I watch. I mean I, I read everything. I flip the channels. Um, I have uh, Directv. Not that I I'm trying to put. There's a, a quad <laughs> chart in the morning that has all of the. That sounds very uh, Trumpian, having like yeah, the well, big quad chart up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like in the White House and in in the Pentagon, they do actually have yeah uh, those. But that's the best we do. And, and during election season, Newsmax was part of that, so it was really great. But you can, it's like watching the Red Zone on the NFL Network. Like you can kind of you go okay, like and so I watch. I watch everyone um, because I want to see how they're covering a topic or what guests that they're having. So you know, in the morning. Um, much to my parent, my my wife, and my kids' chagrin, I'll, I'm I'm flipping through every one of the news channels. I want to see not just what they're covering, how they're covering it, and then what guests they're bringing on. Because as I put my show together, I want to say, you know what they missed out on is explaining it like this or that. Now, uh, speaking of the election, um, obviously the the 2016 election was a big shock to everyone, including a lot of people that worked on the Trump campaign, which you you've spoken about. 
in the run-up to the 2020 election, you were uh, working at Newsmax at the time. Uh, did you think that Trump was going to win? Yes. You did. I, but but look, I'm going to give you my disclaimer. Um, I, I, I just, I feel like I always feel, I mean, there's very few instances where I've been part of something that I don't think the candidate that I'm supporting is going to lose, um, unless it's so blatant. But I've been doing campaigns since the early 90s. And when you have a candidate that you're invested in for whatever reason, you always think somehow they're going to pull it out. So I just mm. optimistically, uh, you know, I also look at my sports teams that way. I mean, we can be down, you know, I'm a huge Patriots fan and, and um, you know, we can be down going in the fourth quarter and somehow maybe it's because you're not leaving my, the stadium early. No, no. I, yeah. Well, I have, but that's don't someone's going to, but, but Traffic. mentally I'm not, sure, you know? Sure. Um, and, and so I've always, I always believe in the comeback. Um, and, um, and so, yes, I, I did. Now, how did you feel on election night? Um, I, I was hopeful even, and we, our coverage went till 2am. I was on the, on the, on our election desk. Um, because I still thought Arizona was, I thought Arizona was definitely gettable. Um, and then obviously Georgia didn't call it for a while. So like I said, I'm a, I'm a, by nature, an optimist, uh, of whoever I'm rooting for. And so I was kind of doing the electoral math saying, okay, if we pull the Georgia in, Arizona does come back to us. Um, and so I was trying to figure out what that, what that potential path to 270 was. Um, obviously, you know, I, it became harder as the Wednesday morning came into focus. It was like, okay, there's that's going to be harder to pull back, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the difference between say 2020 versus um, versus 2004 is, you know, when it all came down to one state, Florida, and it was like 380 votes, you're going, okay, like this is, we, we, as long as we maintain, when you're looking at multiple states trying to get back to 270, it's just at some point you can be the biggest optimist in the world, but math is math. You were Trump's first press secretary. If you were press secretary during and in the aftermath of the 2020 election, would you have stood by his claim that he actually won? I think what I would have done is, I, I think, first of all, I, I think that, that there was some legal issues, like how they presented the case. I mean, so fundamentally, I thought that like how it was presented was not the smartest way. There were some- Are you referring some, to a particular press conference that was uh, delivered? No, I think there were company? several. That, frankly, <laughs> okay. that, that particular press conference was too late in the game. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that, that the Bush team did very well in 2004 is they were on the ground. I was, I was actually in um, Broward County uh, running a congressional race, Florida's 22nd, um, that we had- in that district was Palm Beach, Miami-Dade, and Broward County. So, I mean, I was like in the thick of it. That next morning, we uh, that race that I was involved in was Clay Shaw's uh, congressional race uh, against a woman named Elaine Bloom. We we went into a recall as well, ironically. So we were hand in glove with them through the recount process in all three counties. And it was the way that they got in front of the messaging, the way that they had their legal team assembled. So, you know, the one thing about uh, handling PR for somebody is that at some point it becomes like a wave that if you don't get in front of the wave, you can only do so much PR, you know, um, sort of fix it crisis management at some point though, Afterwards. the messaging's lost. And I think that, that it got away way too early. Um, in terms it of, a, it was also a very difficult thing to message because like the numbers weren't there. Right. Well, that's, like, but that's my point though, is that if it, it, it was, it was, it was scattershot, it was unfocused, 
Um, and I think that that was the problem is that you were trying, like, I think there were legitimate concerns about how Pennsylvania, Nevada, Wisconsin changed some of those rules going up, right? right. Um, allowing but the, but, the deadlines to go. But that's the, the, yeah, the time to make that case is before the election. Correct. So that's why I'm saying is that there were some fundamentally strategic mistakes that were made early on that fundamentally changed the trajectory that I think made it almost impossible to come back from, from my PR standpoint, regardless of the numbers. Now, Last time I checked, something like 66% of Republican voters, that was the, the latest poll I saw, believe that the election was stolen. Yeah. Do you think that that's really bad for the future of the country that Trump has convinced most of his supporters of something that is very obviously not true? Well, so again, I'll go back to what I said. So yes, I think it's 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 very concerning. And you yeah. saw the fallout, frankly, in, in the Georgia Senate elections, where we lost two seats, frankly, because right. I think a lot of people said, well, I'm not going to go out and vote if the system isn't, we saw- Do you think that that was one of the big reasons why the- Absolutely. The, of course it was. I mean- the, Republicans the, lost Georgia. With the race that that was close, when the yeah. base isn't fired up, you can't win a race- frankly, in the, in the R or the D side, if your base isn't energized in this. And I mean, in most, you know, with the exception of, you know, R plus 10 districts or R, I mean, D plus 10 districts. I mean, if it's a competitive race, you need your base. And I think that when there are people that fundamentally um, are, don't believe that the system is fair, you're going to have a problem. And I think, so there's a difference though. What I, and what I had a conversation with a, a woman, um, the other day from Pennsylvania, who was telling me all this stuff that she's been doing, looking at the election, I said, look, I'll, I'll be honest with you, if you really want to do something, focus on the future. Um, meaning that, you know, keep trying to figure out, you know, and I, I think there's a difference, you can't, you always want to make sure that, that um, you know, what went wrong, right. So whether it's, you know, you know, a, a business operation or anything of that matter, looking back and making sure that you, you kind of do after action reports, I get that. But Fundamentally, if you if you're a Republican that's concerned about the system, what I think we need to do is make sure that the legislatures pass very clear guidance on how how uh, elections need, need rules need to be enforced. In other words, why is a state clerk or a, a county clerk allowing ballots to come in at, at this rate? Or in Wisconsin, they were calling people, telling them they can come in and change their ballot. They were not applying the rules as they had traditionally been enforced. And in many cases, I think improperly. And I think, um, so from a Republican standpoint, we need to focus on enhancing uh, integrity of the system so that if a state legislature wants to change the rules, that's fine. But you can't in the months reading up saying, oh, we just decided to mail everybody a ballot. That's, those aren't, that, that's like, there's no game that you can play whether it's sports or board game or anything, we're in the middle of a game. You go, okay, well now guess what? Field goals are going to be worth eight. That just, you can't do that. I feel like the problem that a lot of conservatives had, particularly of the you know Wall Street Journal editorial board, National Review stripe, was that these perhaps justified arguments about uh, election laws were hijacked by Correct. this insane claim that Trump had well, and, 10 and that's million votes saying, that were switched by- Right, and, and I think it's like- it's, it's like any, I mean, look, for me, I, I again, I think that you got to focus on where you're going to yield the most, not just support, but but benefit, right? And I, I truly believe, um, I, I mean, I, I look at the, 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 frankly, the false narrative that is being perpetuated by many in the media about voter restrictions and enhancements. We had a pandemic. We allowed people to vote in ways that we never have in history because just to inter sorry to interrupt, but isn't that a good thing that there's an emergency pandemic, people don't want to go out and vote in person, 
what like is there is there actually a problem with allowing them to vote in an easier way by ma- sending them mail in ballots? Yes and no. So over philosophically, yes, you want to make it easier to vote, but you also have to make sure that again the rules don't change in a way that changes. I mean, think about it. When you put a campaign together, and I've been doing these for almost three decades, you you create a strategy of how you're going to message, where your dollars are going to be allocated, your get out the vote strategy, how you're going to motivate people, whatever. If you suddenly say, hey, everyone just got a mail-in ballot, that changes the trajectory of everything because you have to go back and say, okay, well, now our messaging change. You have to back up your ad budget. You have to, your mail budget, your GOTV, everything changes fundamentally. Your door knocking, your phones, all of that changes. And so- you, you can't sort of willy-nilly say, okay, well, we're now going to have this or that. The other thing is I do believe in, uh, in making sure that there's integrity and safety so that people can't cheat. Um, and so it, to me, it's such a false. So first, let me just, it's a false argument when people say, well, there's, there's not huge significant fraud, so we shouldn't do it. That's like saying my house hasn't been broken into ever, so I'm not going to lock the door. If you value something, you protect it. Right. And I think the, that the most valuable thing that we as Americans have is the right to vote. And so we should protect it in every way, shape and form. Um, secondly, I think that there were enhancements put in place for the pandemic, as you were you and I were just discussing to make it easier because for safety reasons. Right. The same way that many people couldn't work from home because they said it's safer to work from home than to bring everyone into an office. OK, well, as the pandemic eases then that just the same way that employers are saying, okay, we're going to start bringing people safely back to work. You don't then just get to say, well, anything that we didn't have during the pandemic is now restricting voting. That's ridiculous, right? The same way that every employee can't just stay home and say, well, because I was given this opportunity, the business should operate going forward the same way. So I I do think that there are things that we have to do. And I also, look, for, for, I think, giving people the opportunity to vote absentee um, is something that every state has permitted. Um, every state in this country allows people to, to vote absentee. Um, I, I don't know, like at a certain point, we are now backing up, like here in Virginia, we started allowing people to vote uh, a week ago Friday. Okay, so middle of September, you're now voting for an election in the first week of November. I, I think that that's, there, there's a, clearly there should be a timetable that people can vote early to make sure that their ballot gets in and et cetera. But I, 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 I question whether two months is appropriate. Because there's things that happen. I mean, think about it. Traditionally, people don't even start paying attention to election until after Labor Day. And so the first debate in Virginia didn't occur until last week. So we allowed people to start voting before the candidates even debated for the first time. I, I think that we're and, and so if the debate is we got to make it easier, then when's early enough? Is it two months? Is it three months? Is it five months? I think like. So I, I think that there's, I firmly believe that you need a window, now whether that's, you know, two weeks or th- 30 days, whatever, but starting to go back two months, I, I think is is silly because I think that, that there are things the voters haven't seen yet. There's activity at the end, there's, there's opposition research dumps, there's debates, there's interactions that allow voters to become more informed about who's going to lead a particular office. Just to take it back to 2020, were you concerned or disappointed at all in Newsmax's role in pushing some of these election conspiracy theories? I'm not aware of any conspiracy theory that Newsmax pushed. So no, I'm very proud of our coverage, actually. So Newsmax is being sued by Dominion and Smartmatic for airing false claims about the 2020 election. No, actually, and look, I first of all, I will admittedly say that I'm not privy to any, I mean, but what I understand was the case is that a guest on Newsmax made some comments. 
so that was the subject. And, and I apologize if I'm wrong, but I, I'm not steeped in the case. Um, but I do know that everything that I'm aware of was that a guest made a comment. Um, and, and so that that was what brought Newsmax into it. So if, if the new standard is that a guest or a person that you interview can't say something, you know, and again, you know, I, I can speak from my own show. Uh, there's nothing that every single day that, you know, I've been on, I've been proud of the show that we've done. I don't think you can find a single instance. So, but I, I think I actually thought our coverage was, was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, our analysis was great. And I think that we, the way that we conducted it was to allow the system to, to work its way and to explain again, this back to why you think is, I, I think there's a difference in the media between telling people what they need to think and allowing them to make up their own minds. We had guests that presented, um, you know, their concerns with the election. But then we also had people that said, here's why those aren't valid. So giving people an opportunity to hear the sides, I think is what's missing so much in our journalism today. It's here's what we're going to tell you, you need to think and believe here are the people that are credible, and no one else should be heard. I don't understand how a dissenting opinion, if it's so wrong, let it be heard. And then but if the opinion is false, isn't it the onus of the news outlet to say why it's incorrect so that they're the and viewers I think that it, are watching but that's it why I'm saying it. I don't I, I'm unaware of any example where we didn't do that well Newsmax did air a fact check later after they got a legal threat from Dominion I believe that was an extensive fact check of, of comments that were aired on the network right um, and again I would yeah. just say that there's a, a, a you know if a guest comes on and says something and again we we challenged guests most of the time we'd say um you know, explain that to us. How did you come to that? Or what evidence do you have to back that up? And I think in every case that I'm aware of, and again, I can only speak for my own show, we did that. And I think we did it well. Obviously, the the claim that the 2020 election was rigged eventually culminated in in January 6th. You furiously condemned the attack on the actual day. I went back Mm -hmm. and looked, you called it a disgrace, you called it un-American, you said you were disgusted. Uh, What did you think when you were when you were watching that? And, and what did you think about the fallout in the weeks that followed about, about that day? Um, so there's two things. One, it's, it's quasi-personal. I've, I've spent, you know, like I said, I think I worked for 10 different members of Congress on the Senate and the House side. Um, I spent days, years of my life in those buildings. Um, and so watching a, a sacred institution like that be defiled was, you know, as an American, as someone who worked in there, just, and frankly, I, I also think that um, as a conservative and somebody who, you know, has supported President Trump, um, I, I, I thought for some of those people, we're better than that. We're like, we respect law enforcement. We respect law and order. Um, and, and frankly, I think that especially after the riots of last summer, where I was equally disgusted by some of the, the actions that people took against, you know, property against fellow citizens was, you know, I, I, I love the ability of, of, of our citizenry to be able to express themselves and to protest and whatever. But I, last summer, I thought it was disgraceful how we handled ourselves as a country where people took to violence, destruction um, of, of both personal property, of, of uh, businesses, of public property. Um, and so I felt like what, what really hurt me was losing the higher ground in saying we're better, like we call this stuff out, we don't do it. And so I, I you know, I've heard all the arguments, but I, I, I just, I think that, that people on the right, I've always thought, you know, we're strong supporters of law enforcement, of law and order. And so I, you know, I stand by what I said that day. Does it disappoint you now to see the president defend the rioters? I, 
look, I, I just, I, I, I think, as I said, my comments on this are very clear. I think that um, we have a way of expressing ourselves in this country that's consistent with what our constitution allows. And that anytime that we on the right don't act better than the left, we lose the moral high ground. And so I, I don't, I, I, I mean, I've heard all the arguments about, well, we were told to come in and this and that. And I, I mean, I, I just think at some point, you know, it, it's, it's like, you know, it's like going to the airport, for example, right? And you, you know that there's one way in through the magnetometers, you get screened. And so like, if somebody said, hey, we saw a bunch of people walking they're in the, 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 the exit way. Uh, so we just figured we could go, defies common sense, right? And so I, I just, I, I look at some of these people and I'm going, I get it. Like you might've thought this, but did it really make sense that, that a, a, the Capitol building just, you know, lets you blow by and walk through a window? It's also like, I, 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 I get a sense that you're alluding to, um, there was a coverage on Tucker Carlson's show last night where he was airing footage of them sort of strolling around. And he said, oh, they look more like tourists than they do terrorists. And it neglected to show that the way that they got in was by beating through lines of police in horrific ways that you know wounded everyone. Um, I do to a certain extent understand why they were there because they were told that democracy was over. And if you're told that democracy is over, I don't think you know storming the Capitol is actually that crazy a response. Um, one thing I, I do wanna ask is looking forward, do, do you, do you think that it would be a good thing to have Trump in office again, say he runs in 2024? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I think, I've always said this, I think his policies uh, were phenomenal as a conservative. I mean, in terms of the judges he appointed, the pro-life policies that he enacted, um, the economic- But policies policy aside, did, did January 6th not make you second guess whether or not he was fit to be a, a commander in chief? Um. I, I've got to be honest, I haven't thought about it in that context. Um, but I, I mean, I, I look, I am a believer um, that, well, let me put it to you this way. As I've said many times, the there are people who can say and do all the right things that have not moved the country in the right direction. They, they will profess this. I think that what Trump, what he brought to Washington was the ability to not care about how things had worked traditionally and got things done. Um, and so I, I've always said to folks, you know, who were offended by sometimes the tweets or the this, is that like, okay, does a tweet ever change your life for good or bad? Does a comment make your life better or worse? Policies do. And so at the end of the day, you know, it's sort of the same way I look at elections, which is you can't govern if you don't win. And so you've got to win. And I also look and go, okay, well, you can talk all day about the policies, but so far and, and you know, over history, Trump's been the first president that has gone on, gone in and actually done what he said he was gonna do, got things done. And as a con proud conservative, I, I will tell you, I think that he did more for the movement in both domestic policy, um, pro-life policy, um, foreign policy than, than we've seen in, in decades, if not. I, I think the problem with January 6th is that it was a concrete example of it no longer just being tweets and rhetoric, it being a, pretty horrific and violent attack yeah, on the Capitol also, that was the direct result of the tweets in the room. So, so look, I, there's no question. I think a lot of things could have been handled differently on that day. Uh, and I, I, like I said, I've been very clear, but I also go back and, and look and say, you know, okay, he was, you know, if you look at the nexus of that day, um, 
you know, there were people going, entering into the Capitol while he was still speaking. So the question, you know, the, the, yeah. there's, there's- I think people- that you, you can't really blame the speech at the Capitol that he did. That's one thing. It was the buildup where he said repeatedly that the election was stolen, that democracy is over, that the only way to respond to this terrible thing that's happened is to fight. Um, you know, but, you don't but, have the right but, to but, that with, and again, Trump. again, like, look, I, I'm not I'm not trying to defend this, but I'm also like, if you look at the verbiage, I mean, Chuck Schumer made those comments about Gorsuch, we're going to come get you Gorsuch and all. And so Political it's like, speech how, many, can be, how yeah. many times in politics we said we're going to fight for our rights to do this. And so I get it. I, I and so I just want to be clear. You noted it properly. I, I was disgusted with January 6th, but I think if you go back and then try to say, well, at one point he said, we're going to fight like hell, or you got to fight for your rights. We've been as a democracy using those phrases forever. Sure. So can you make a case that, okay, if you look at it over time and da, 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 da. But, but I also, I, I think I'm also a believer in individual responsibility. And so I, I, I think that there is no one who who can look back and say, you know, I mean, my mom used to say this as a kid, I'm sure yours did too. If so-and-so jumps off a bridge, does that mean you're going to do it too? Um, she didn't, or are you just shaking your head? I, I would never jump off the bridge. Right. Well, I, I'm multiple scared times, it, so that yeah. wouldn't happen anyway. <laughs> but I think the point is, is that I, I just don't, um, I, I don't, I, I feel like you are responsible for your actions. And if you're dumb enough to believe that you can walk into the U.S. Capitol by breaking a window and then that's legal, um, I, I don't know that I really want to be blaming that on anybody else. No debate there. Um, I want to talk about Jen Psaki, okay. the current press secretary. Uh, what do you think of the job she's doing from the briefing room so far? So it's an interesting question because um, I, I think that you do the job in relationship to, to the press corps that you face. Um, and so, I mean, look, her job is to go out and give answers. Um, and I, I think, frankly, she does fine at it, right? But I don't think she's challenged. I don't think that she faces pushback or tough questions. And I'm not saying that she, but, but press conference after press conference, you know, everybody politely raises their hand. She calls on them. They ask her, you know, how hard is the president working to make America great? And she says, oh, blah, blah, blah. And they go, thank you, Jen, and we move on. <laughs> I, I just she gets a few it, tough questions these days. In the past, but past but hold on, with all due respect, she she calls on the same reporters all the time. She gets one tough question from one reporter, and frankly, uh, which is Peter Ducey, because she won't call on anybody else. And the reality is, is that Peter has never asked anything but a, a polite, respectful, and civil question. The idea that. Uh, that he, he, he challenges her. Absolutely. But most of the time it's, Hey, Jen, you said X three days ago. Uh, now you're saying, why can you explain, you know, why the change or how you square that thing? He asks, I think questions that normal people would ask. They're just not softballs that everybody else is asking. Your tenure as, as press secretary was marked by some pretty wild moments. I mean, it was the yeah. first, right. couple months of the Trump administration, which was crazy in a note itself. Uh, you turned into something as a celebrity. You uh, acknowledge some mistakes from that time, like your first press briefing on, uh, on Trump's inauguration crowd size. What do you think or feel when you look back on that time? What do, what do you think about that time in your, in your career? Um, so philosophically, I, I believe that both personally and professionally, um, if you, that people who want to be better at either their profession or their personal life, look at themselves and constantly should try to reflect, 
did I do the best job that I could? Did I have a great interaction with that person, right? So even on a personal level, like there's days when, you know, with my kids or my wife or friends, I'll say, gosh, you know, could I have handled that a little bit better? I think that that's what, that's what makes a good person, somebody who can reflect on themselves and figure out how to improve um, on a daily basis. So there are days when I look back and I'm like, oh my God, you look like an angry leprechaun. Um, and, and I'm, you know, and, and I feel like, okay, I let somebody get my Irish up. Um, and I don't like that. Uh, so yeah, there's things, as you said, that I look back and I go, gosh, I wish I hadn't handled it in that particular way. I wish I had been kinder or politer or, uh, you know, diffuse that situation differently. Um, but I also think in the same way that those, some of those interactions made me grow as a person because I said, wow, don't let that happen again. Or the next time you do this, be better about it. And so, you know, I think sometimes the challenges, the mistakes that we make in life make us a better and stronger person. What is your life like right now in, 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 like in the wake of that? Do you get recognized on the street a lot? Do you get berated at restaurants? Do you get asked for your photo? Does that things, does it still follow you around? Yes. Really? Um, uh, yeah, I do. Um, I will say this, it, and again, it depends on where I am and, and sure. what the circumstances. So like, um, you know, uh, like for example, I'm, I'm gonna be in Mackinac, Michigan this weekend, uh, speaking at the, their big GOP conference there. Uh, so in that instance, ab absolutely. In Washington DC, sure, all the time. Um, you know, when I, I, I grew up in Rhode Island, I spent a lot of time there in the summer. I get, you know, obviously it's a small state. Um, so, you know, yeah, there. Um, I will say that most of the time now, um, you know, like I've, I've been out of uh, out of the White House for four years. Um, Trump's out of office, so I think a lot of the vitriol has kind of tamped down. Um, I don't think that that means people like me 100%. It just means that people have moved on, and so sometimes I feel like I've got really good radar now when I'm walking into a room or down the street. I can tell you that they're friend or foe. Trump runs again in 2024. Are you joining the campaign or the White House should he get elected? No, and no. <laughs> Look, I, I'll just say this. Look, yeah. and I'm not, I, I, this isn't a shocker. I, I said this at the beginning of our conversation. I, I love what I do now. I have found a sweet spot. I, I love, I, and I, I will say this as far as Donald Trump goes, um, he, he is an intense guy to work for. It's the, 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 I mean, he demands a lot of people who work for him. Um, uh, but since I've left, he's been, and I, I, I think, I'd like, you know, he's been a good friend and he's been unbelievably supportive of my endeavors, of my work at Newsmax, my books. He voted for me on Dancing with the Stars. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I'd much rather be a friend and a supporter uh, than, than an employee. And, um, and, I, and as I said, I, I have I've really enjoyed uh, working at Newsmax and, and being able to wake up every day and have a show that I get to do stuff. And, and as you noted at the beginning, I've got a new book and, and it's been fun putting that kind of stuff together. So it's not that I, I it's just, I'm not looking forward. And I, I will, one last thing is that I, I did probably, I don't know what the number is, 500 interviews over my six years at the, uh, at the RNC. And, and my recognition level was like, you know, uh, there, it was Christmas time at a Joseph A. Banks in, in Alexandria and some guy in the sweater section was like, I think I know you. I mean, I, that was as close as I really came to, to being recognized politically. That changed very quickly um, when I was in the White House. The intensity and the scrutiny is not something that I ever want to go through again personally or have my family do. I don't need, um, you know, TV trucks outside of my lawn. I don't need, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think there's a full appreciation of, 
you know, what the wear that that puts on an individual. And so I'm happy with what I do now. Um, and and um, I, I think someone else can can go um, do all those other things that I, I once did. John Spicer is the author of upcoming book, Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's Dangerous Plan for America out uh, October 26th. Sean, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I check out coverage of my conversation with Sean Spicer on Mediaite.com. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.